Hey, it's Kyle Meredith, host of the Kyle Meredith with podcast, presented by WFPK at WFPK.org and the Consequence Podcast Network. It's a series that puts the spotlight on iconic musicians and actors, inviting them to drop by and talk about their latest projects, whether it's albums, TV shows, films, or beyond. I'm going to say something I don't want to say. Here it goes. Without Spinal Tap, there is no Tenacious D. Whoa. <laughs> Man. We get great stories and the biggest scoops from people like Garbage's Shirley Manson, the 1975's Maddie Healy, Jack Black and Kyle Gass of Tenacious D, Maya Hawk, Kiefer Sutherland, and everyone in between. New episodes arrive every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, so it's a great way to keep up with your favorite artists and discover some new ones. You can find Kyle Meredith with on the Consequence Podcast Network or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey pod people, Engineer Adam here, jumping in for a quick second to let you know about the brand new all-in-one platform for all of you creative podcasters out there. Anchor makes it easier than ever to make a podcast. It's free to use and has all the creation tools you need to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Plus, Anchor will get your podcast set up on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever podcasts are found. Even better, Anchor helps you connect with sponsors, even if you're just starting out. It's the perfect choice for podcasters, so make sure to check it out. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. That's A-N-C-H-O-R dot F-M. Back to the show. Consequence Podcast Network. People, Leo Phillips here with our very special 100th episode of This Must Be the Gig. So, this must be the most exciting one yet, right? We get to reminisce and dive into my favorite soupy, goopy, gooey thing to do, which is go back in time and escape from this current time. And to do so, I've brought along engineer adam who's in the studio today as always as every always day, i live in the, the studio tapping on the studio table once more with feeling hello hi that's my catchphrase this hello is... so we're here to celebrate 100 episodes how and how do you feel i feel ecstatic can you believe it 100 episodes I think the amount of time, like it's hard to quantify your feelings, but the amount Very of true. time that a hundred, it's taken us two years to get to a hundred, which doesn't seem so long. No, not at all. Because we've averaged one a week for two years. Yes. I feel like two years sounds longer than a hundred Yeah, that's, that's very true, especially because uh, we have more than a hundred guests over that total as well. Which we've we had... didn't count. If I had to wager, I would say it's about 112 different guests on the show, uh, different projects being represented along that, because we've had festival reports, we've had uh, multiple interviews jammed into one episode. We've had trend reports with fellow writers and other journalists. We have covered a lot of ground, let me tell you. So today we decided... To have a little spit. It feels like Christmas. Yes, it's a stroll down memory lane. <laughs> Hello. We've been asking over the last few weeks for listeners to let us know what their favorite episodes are, what the thing they were most excited to learn, the thing they were most intrigued by. Asked everyone to send those to us at this must be the gig at gmail.com. We've been collecting. <laughs> nice plug. Thank you. For our email. Continue to send us email. And no nudes. 
please. Please. Do not spam. For the love of God. And don't send me your recipe for sourdough. I do not need <laughs> more recipes. Send me song recommendations. Yes, though. please. I do like those ones. And we've been asking for all of these recommendations for people, and we've collected them and put together a list of the 12 episodes that seem to be what everybody was really in love with. And the 12 little snippets feel like just a view into a much larger overall conversation that we obviously had across these 100 episodes. And when my guests shared stories about their connection to music, they ultimately shared a version of their worlds and how they came to be who they are today, which is an unbelievably wonderful thing to hear when people share their deepest fears and dreams from wandering through big cavernous spaces of their gigantic brilliant brains to tiny tiny details from that day that we recorded in our interview we captured it all and i feel like doing this going through each one which we're about to do with commentary it's like we're watching like we're on twitch yeah it's like director's commentary exactly yeah the director's cut (laughs) which always seemed elitist and shite to me but this is great and fun and i promise you it feels very euphoric to be here it's been a huge quest but nothing without a very clear community don't you think we love all of our listeners and our guests and the people that have helped us along the way with graphics with with uh music all sorts of different things we've had a really powerful little little cuddling community and we appreciate everyone i feel like nothing elevates my mood or energizes my spirit more than talking to people about their own spiritual growth and how they came to a place that they're in now and the path that they took to get here and that adventure that they have ahead of them as well which i think a lot of people get to find out during the show what do you find out during the show? <laughs> what have you found out during the show well what was a highlight for you during the run like you got to go all the way to spain yes that is at true at some point in the last two years because the last two months have felt like two years we got to meet david byrne we got to meet david byrne do you remember after that can you a, remember that after a flight I had just come back from covering Primavera in Spain. Spain is always our central It spot. definitely reunites everyone. We met the Zen. The Zen the, master. The one, the only. <laughs> You've been watching The Last Dance, haven't you? Is that where you... Yeah. Yeah, okay. <laughs> exactly. We named our podcast after one of the man's songs, and then not nine episodes later, there we were standing in the same room. Music is, is wonderful. <laughs> That was my mind blowing up, in case you're wondering. You were in the same... You put a lapel on his his That's That's true. (laughs) I mean, that's why getting to this 100 felt so overwhelming, which we delayed it by a week for Mm -hmm. those listeners who... We're wondering. We're wondering. <laughs> no one was wondering. We wanted to put the appropriate amount of, of effort and time and care into crafting this beautiful yes. package for all of you. Because sometimes we were having this chat off air mm-hmm. that sometimes looking back at the last two years, at the last hundred episodes, it's felt a little bit Wizard of Ozzy, right? Yes. Because one day I felt like there's a house about to fall and flatten me. Other days I get given gifts like heart and courage like the cowardly lion and then other days i'm meeting brand new friends and everything turns into from from gross sepia black and white into color and i feel euphoric and i feel whole and then other days i also feel like i'm totally losing my old self 
and I have all of those emotions. That's incredible. Throughout this whole journey. Very beautifully put. It has felt like a real opportunity for growth. And I really couldn't be prouder of the work that we've put into this. No, thank you. It's just incredible to have. Thanks. Wait. Wait, let's get a clean, clean high five here. With my unbroken wrist. Everyone in the room, quiet. Ready? Yeah. Uh, that was a bottle poppin. <laughs> we'll be celebrating this one. Poppin. So to be on this quest and also to ask all the questions through the podcast, maybe by going back through each of these little time capsules, there will be bigger questions to even ask yourself, dear listener. Like, why do we reach for memories? Why do we reach for that old ticket stub, an old set list, a turp poster? Why do we tack it to the wall? Why do we keep those gross, grubby festival wristbands? I also think that going through a hundred episodes, it's felt good to remember why we started the show in the first place. Were we trying to shore up memories, collect a collection of things we hope we'll remember about our favorite artists, the things we fear we'll forget one day? I don't know. So now I suppose with a hundred behind us, I've so loved sharing these moments with all of you and what it has meant to me has been invaluable beyond belief. And I guess I'll leave you with how has live performance and live music changed your life? How has it soundtracked moments that you struggled with or maybe ones that you would honestly rather forget? Think about the times that you found delight. Think about those memories that you never want to fade and think about that very first gig, that best gig, that last gig and how you can immortalize it for yourself and for your future self. We've had an amazing run, pod people. Pod people. <laughs> yes, too. 100 more. <laughs> As a first treat, we're going to go all the way back to episode one, Phew. numero uno, Phew. with the one and only Shirley Manson of Garbage. Oh my gosh, my first ever guest on the show. I'm giggling because this thing didn't have a face. It didn't, it had an idea. I just uh, reached out and told them my idea. I, I had talked to her previously for a different piece, and I thought, listen, let's reconnect. We got so many messages talking about the concept of what it is to be a star, quote unquote, right. that you guys discussed in that episode, which was really interesting. Just about uh, remaining grounded, I guess, is a way to put it, and what it takes to really be that person who can walk between multiple worlds. And also diving into losing yourself in that role that you speak of as that rock star, drinking that Kool-Aid. It's so much easier just to enjoy the glitz and the glam of it all without realizing what it is. She says something about she is, I. she goes, I am augmented reality. And I just love that. Mm -hmm. So we thought to rip that out from our reality <laughs> and bring it into yours so that you can escape into this little brief moment. And as she says, for one brief night or an array of nights when you are transformed into some sort of cultural deity or colorful modern icon, surely... It will always be that for us. Absolutely. So thank you again, Shirley. And here's our first clip looking back. Episode one. Do you feel like totally different and separate from that person who's on stage? Well, first of all, I have to say that to lose yourself in the role of a rock star or a pop star or mm -hmm. any kind of cultural star, to lose yourself and buy and drink the Kool-Aid, so to speak, is so much easier. And that's why I think a lot of people do it. 
You know, mm-hmm. that's why they start to enjoy having bodyguards. That's why they enjoy having distance from the fans. That's why they enjoy having distance from their old past lives because it just becomes easier for them, I think. Mm. Um, They don't have to deal with peer jealousy. They don't have to deal with a difficult husband or a wife or a partner of any sort. They can just, like, blast through life drinking the Kool-Aid and being drunk on the Kool-Aid. And it's all about them and it's all about success and money and and, and so on and so forth. Mm. Mm. that's really easy to do, I think. So it is very difficult to try and marry the duality of a normal human being and then doing something that basically for one brief night or, or, you know, an array of nights Mm -hmm. where you are um, transformed into some kind of cultural deity or, or, you know, colourful, modern... Um, you know, icon, I guess, for lack of a better word. Mm. So that to try and marry that duality is really a challenge. And um, but when I'm on stage, I am, I'm basically augmented reality. I think that's probably the way I would. <laughs> that's I how love I would that. Put it. Yeah. <laughs> is so, she there? Where is she? <laughs> Why is she Our next clip comes from episode 84 from this year in January, which seems like a million years away. It is a clip about our shared experience. It's about breaking down live music and seeing it into this visceral form of gut-wrenching, heartbreaking emotion. It's about what unifies us in music, what brings everyone together. And we do that with Alicia Keys. And that experience of just chatting with her was, I think I mentioned it during the episode, and I'll mention it again, life-affirming. Talking to her as a fan of her about fandom and how she was a fan. She talks a little bit about live performance and live music as being this pure experience that we share together and that togetherness and talking about how she feels blessed to connect to that and on that level. It was purely astounding to hear something like that coming from her. This is a great clip. You're going to hear a lot about what exactly drew Alicia to music, who her favorite artists are. Enjoy. But when it comes to music, it's like that's the one thing that you can look next to you and that person is singing at the top of their lungs, feeling this particular song. And it, there's nothing, I guess, in the way of it. You know what I mean? It's, and so it's the one kind of pure way, I think, that we all just have, can can understand something. You know what I mean? I agree. Or can understand the same thing. Yeah, that makes me smile. Yeah, that's really, yeah, that's really wonderful to acknowledge that. So I do feel like that is the, that is such a powerful form of communication. And I'm so, I feel blessed that I'm able to connect with people on that level, like on that visceral, emotional, straight, like right to the gut, straight to the heart. You know, that's the truth. Those things that hit you right there, right there, square in your middle, that's what the truth is. So I feel like I feel like I love that that's the way 
that we communicate. And for me, the people and the moments that that have happened to me, like I'll never forget. I'll never forget the first time I heard Marvin Gaye's Flying High in a Friendly <laughs> Sky. <Amazing>. This song. <laughs> God, so special. This song took me out. It was so, the music itself was like super dark, but beautiful. And this idea of like, what is reality and what isn't reality and find escape and trying to escape and and these these kind of metaphors that he was playing with and I think that the agony that he lived with like it felt so it hit me so crazy I couldn't believe that you could feel something like that you know so deeply and like that I'll, I'll never forget experiencing that or the first time that I saw Nina Simone perform which was like one of the first black women who played classical music that I ever laid my eyes on and I was studying classical music and I was trying to figure out like how you know I was I I needed to see myself in that world and I don't I didn't you know and 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 so to see her but to see her with this like regality and this crazy strength and almost like this don't fuck with me like she has this like thing that she carries with her like you untouchable almost and not in a way that was I never felt I never felt like not welcomed by her performance I always felt deeply engaged with her like commitment to what she believed like whatever she was singing about it was so fiercely her truth I felt like knocked off my feet by that. I wanted to understand how can I believe in something or feel something so, how can I feel something so clearly that nothing takes me out of it? Like nothing's more important than it. Whoa, that's, that's such a confidence, that's a deep confidence that comes with that. And like the ability to like believe in, it's like it's deep. So those are two that I remember I was just, shook to the core of like what that made me feel like or what that made me want to understand or the first time I saw Mandy Blige and she was like in oh. that real love video <laughs> and she had her like Doc Martens on yeah. and she was stomping the rain and it was dark and she was like in a hoodie and she was hard and she was in New York and she was like completely a million percent um, herself. She was just herself. Like she didn't, yeah. didn't have to be like anybody else. And I remember how that hit me. I was like, yo, I know her. She knows me. I felt like she knew me. Our next clip comes from episode 68 with the Mike Patton. So great to have an icon like that on the show. Thank you to Mike again. He's not somebody that does a whole ton of podcasts either, so it was really lovely to be able to chat with him for this. Or interviews, really. Yeah, and especially how uh, open and willing he was to talk about his entire career, stretching all the way back to playing in a pizza place, all the way straight through to his most recent work. It's really a fascinating conversation, and this clip will give you some insight into what exactly drove him in the wild, many-faceted direction that he wound up going. And we talk about his musical influences, and we picked out a little moment centering around a record store. Here you go. 
mentioned Mr. Bungle, and that's just so fascinating. You were so quick to adapt from, you know, metal to incorporate so many different sounds and influences. But then what were you, I, I don't, I cringe to ask this, but I think it's fascinating. And I'm sure the listeners would find it as well. But what were you listening to at the time? Like, what was your relationship to genre like at the time? Or were you just gung-ho in experimenting? I guess the best way I could put it is I, I worked in a record store at the okay. time and it was the only record store in town. <laughs> yeah. I'd, I'd worked there for uh, a number of years and kind of built up a little bit of uh, trust. And so they let me order records. Mm. So I started ordering the craziest shit just cause I, not cause I thought it would sell because mm. I wanted to hear it. Yeah. <laughs> so it would be like, yeah, like, you know, like dub stuff, um, mm -hmm. hardcore stuff, crazy uh, avant-garde jazz stuff, things that I was just like, hey, I'm not going to sell this shit, but I'm going to listen to it. So what I would do is I would get um, these records and they'd come in like every Tuesday, I believe it was. And so I'd open up the box, take out the ones I wanted, take them home, tape them. <laughs> bring them back and seal them up and then try and sell them. <laughs> oh my God. Really bad. Like I'm the <laughs> so worst employee. Awful. Yeah. So bad. So somebody so bad. got, well, to be honest, can you imagine somebody listening to this and they're like, shit, I might own a record that Mike touched, <laughs> you know, I don't Come know on. if that no. really would matter <laughs> because no one would buy the ones that I touched. Believe me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I am so excited about our next clip. This is Kieran, aka the powerful artist that is Madame Gandhi. So many of you loved this episode, including me especially. Of course, I experienced it in human form. We recorded it, I remember, at Moogfest, which I was covering at the time. It's episode number 50, and we get into so much. We The clip, of course, does not even scratch the surface of... The, the entirety of the conversation about feminine activism, mystic depths of astrology, drumming for MIA. But at the same time, it's really emblematic of who she is as an activist and as an artist about how her strength and individuality is something that takes her outside of, you know, the traditional bounds of what it is to be an artist and to be criticized and to be judged and just lets her live in her own strength. It was really powerful. And the technicality involved in doing what she does, where she's the master of so many different elements up, up on stage. And we Absolutely. get to chat about that, I remember. So enjoy this little clip. I'm sorry it isn't longer, but you'll have to deal with it. You know, when I ran the London Marathon bleeding freely in 2015, the story mm. went viral. Mm. And it was a really important lesson for me because I was so untouched by the negative. I was laughing the whole way through mm. because it was such a bad... I was so personally proud of the run. What was... Can you tell me a little bit about it? For sure. I remember being at the start line of the London Marathon and being on day one of my period unknowingly. I was just hoping I would get it later that week. Mm. And I had never run a, a marathon in my life and, and let alone... On the days of my cycle and my training, I would have mm. just opted out and chilled that day. And I didn't want to quit the marathon, you know. 
I but I legit yeah. didn't know. I was like, what happens? Do people run? Yeah, what you do, know what, what do to do? do? So yeah. like many of us, you know, who have been caught unprepared on our cycle, I remember evaluating my options and I was like, well, a, a pad causes chafing. Mm-hmm. I don't have any kind of pad on me. I don't have a menstrual cup on me. Mm-hmm. I maybe a tampon, I suppose so. But mm-hmm. I just I didn't want like a half in half out <laughs> situation for, t- yeah. for four hours. I didn't have an extra one either to like change out. I, there's no privacy on a marathon course. So mm-hmm. I just remember being like, I'd rather bleed freely yeah. and just run and, and see what happens then. And I knew it was a punk rock move. Like bleeding freely yeah. from anywhere is like a punk rock move trying to run 26 miles. Yeah. But I ran. <laughs> trying to run. Period. Awesome. Amen. Exactly. <laughs> and so I remember just being like, fuck it, I'm going to do this. And I ran and I was like bleeding. It was awesome. And I crossed the finish line. And I was just so genuinely proud of my own body, of my own accomplishment, mm. of having graduated. I had just graduated Harvard Business School. I had oh, finished no, this I tour. About you. That yeah. Is okay. I had just finished this tour with MIA. It was just like this amazingly powerful emotional run. Mm. And I crossed the finish line and I wrote about this experience and I wrote about in the context of combating menstrual stigma. The fact that me running is is such a radical thing that me as a female and as a person who bleeds, Mm. uh, prioritizing my own comfort in that moment is considered such a radical thing. Mm. The story went viral and with all the negative was all the positive. But the interesting thing I wanted to bring it back to the artist listening Mm. is that that negative feedback would have destroyed me yeah had the intention been inauthentic but the intention of the run was so genuine and mm. i was so proud of it and i i i had owned the run because it wasn't supposed to be a virally engineered story. Yeah, it wasn't even supposed to be premeditated. No, work. and it wasn't yeah. even supposed to be an activist mm-hmm. act. It was just me trying to do what I would do. And my mm-hmm. friends who know me, they're like, you would fucking run a marathon bleeding, <laughs> then go and fucking put a tampon in. Yeah. Like, we know you and you would fucking do that, you know? So it felt real. Yeah. And, and so that's the thing. You are. And so mm-hmm. if we do feel sensitive to something, if we do shut down because of what someone says to us, and mm-hmm. I constantly am trying to feedback this work for myself Mm. we have to ask ourselves whoa i'm really sensitive to that that really struck a nerve that art that that reviewer Mm. or that friend of mine or what that person just said really got me riled up Mm. what's that work that i have to do i am so delighted to introduce our next clip with the legendary Beninese singer-songwriter, the inspiring, the empowering artist that is Angelique Kidjo. I feel like when she rolled into the show, she shifted actually a lot for me. I feel like I remember that moment when I put the phone down because we did it over phone because she was on the road about to perform. And I feel like selfishly, she brought something to the show in her spirit and her passion. Like, I even feel halfway through the conversation, I had to roll my wheelie chair in that studio (laughs) we were recording in at the time backwards because I couldn't believe somebody could embody the spirit that I felt listening to her music, that I felt listening to live music. Everything she talks about, she embodies in her life. And this little clip talks about family, about spirituality, about politics, protest, activism, 
uh, heart, soul, brain, all of it wrapped into one little package. And that's just what her songs do as well. It's incredible. Please, after listening to this clip, head over and listen to all of her music. Every last song. Dive in, dig in. I think at the time that we chatted, it was right before her opening slot uh, at in, in LA for Vampire Weekend. Mm-hmm. And we got to chat about so much. And I hope that this clip does her justice. Thank you, Angelique. What a friggin' pleasure to have (laughs) you on the show. So blessed. And enjoy. Had you performed a lot in Benin when you were younger? How did music oh, yeah. come into your life so early? Where where did it all begin? Uh, my father said, I start, and I start singing before I start talking. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> because when my mother was pregnant, she wanted another girl. She had a girl before, but she had so many boys in between. And she said, God, just give me another girl right now. And I don't care how many boys come after. And one of my aunties uh, was coming from the village for health issues in the city that would sing to my, the belly of my mother saying, don't worry, you don't have x-ray right now to see what is in there, but I can tell you she's going to be a girl and she's going to sing. So I, from what I heard from my parents, I, I was in the wound of my mom, I was always sung to. So I come out and start singing stuff. I don't even know what it just said. <laughs> and my father and mother, my father and mother play music too. My father played the banjo. My mom played the clarinet. Oh, wow. but, but the passion of my mother was theater. So I started without asking myself any question about it. And then my brothers, they decided to have a musical band. And my, my father took a loan and buy the, bought the instrument for them. For the first time I saw a drum, an organ, Francisa organ. The 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 amp, 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 amplifier for guitar, bass amplifier, a bass guitar. It was Alice in Wonderland when I came back from school in the middle of the boxes. I was like, "What the <laughs> hell is going on here?" <laughs> and I, I, I never I never questioned why I'm doing music. I, it was like it was like breathing for me from day from day one. So w- when the communist regime arrived and and they were forcing everybody to to just do propaganda music, I, I refuse because my father always used to say, you can have a political opinion, but you cannot be linked to a political party because they come and they go. Mm. If you want to have a career, stay away from that. So I did not want to do it, but it becomes such an issue that if I, I, I was touring a lot. I did my first album in 1981, and it, it allowed me to tour in West Africa to start a career in the region. And it becomes so clear one day to my mom and dad that I gotta leave the country, otherwise, oh, I end up in jail or they end up in jail. So excited to introduce our next clip from the Liam Gallagher, the rock and roll legend. Liam Gallagher, former vocalist of Oasis, frontman of BDI, and the current voice of a righteous solo career. I was so thrilled to even, when I got the message that Liam and I were going to chat, I felt completely out of it. I didn't know, I was so excited. I was like one of those runaway tumbleweeds but like a tumbleweed that was collecting other tumbleweeds because i was just telling and it was everyone just made of 
bucket hats. It was just a bunch of bucket hats coalesced into a tumbleweed. Exactly. I feel like he swears so much. He made us laugh. He made us. I say us as I'm the collective (laughs) bucket hats. He made me and my other fellow bucket hats. We laughed and Liam and I had so much fun. And you can hear it in this little clip that we picked out. We snatched it out of the cradle of the rest of the episode. The episode was clinging on to this one little clip and we snatched it away for you to listen to. And what do we get into? He's one of those guys where... At one hand, for an interview like this, you don't know what's going to happen, but oh, also God, no. you kind of know exactly who he is, so you know what's going to happen. A it's great it's thing. exactly what the clip is about, too. It's about knowing yourself, but also being totally unpredictable and not giving a shit. So enjoy that. <laughs> Uh, the best thing about knowing who you are is to just the honesty about it. So it kind of was all right because I just say what I say and leave it at that. But uh... you know, a lot of people don't know who they are. So I think you, I don't think you take it for granted. But I certainly think that you know, especially with documentaries coming out now, back 30, 40 years ago, the idea of an intimate documentary with a rock star would be completely mind blowing. You know, with now with mm. social media and everything. It's it's yeah, a... reality TV. It's sort of, it's sort of just exactly. a dumb thing. So yeah, yeah. And like so, it's like to be innocent. You know, I'm sure the fans liked it, and I'm sure people like all this stuff. But I'm really asked about seeing a documentary about me walking into a hotel room and fucking. It's all a bit boring, I think. <laughs> I mean, I get. I love that you said that. You know, who you are because there's. I love the concept of artists who go on stage and present this persona. And I've obviously never mm. found that with you. I saw you play a few years ago, and I just—it was exactly what imagine, your music ima- sounded like. Imagine, imagine, imagine if, imagine if that was my pretend to walk on know. stage and stand oh, there, Parker. Imagine if that was my fucking thing, and really behind behind the fucking doors. I mean, a th- I mean a fucking, I mean a Shakespeare and shit. But I just go no. on stage and just be really angry and put on a cricket. A bucket out and a parker and just and be really moody with the crowd. Imagine if that was my persona. I'd be fucked up. Especially coming out with a documentary and the new album, does it make it all seem much more cohesive? Like this is this is all of you coming out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, totally. I mean, and that's what I mean. I can I look at it and I just go, look, I think I like there's me, that's me, this is who it is. You either take it or you leave it, you know what I mean? So I guess if there is any success from it. It's good success because people are buying into you and they're not buying into something that you pretend to be. So it's all it sort of makes it all very real, which is what I'm about, you know what I mean? Going through life, playing a character is not for me, you know what I mean? Of course. Do you think that success is something that you can create then? If you are being yourself and then you have this idea of being successful, you know, you need to make a living, you, need to, you want to get your art out there. How do you then separate yourself from getting too connected to it? Well, I'm me 24-7, so, and I'm quite happy with being me 24-7. I'm the same person that I am when I go on stage and I'm the same person I am when I come off stage. So... I'd much prefer it than that. I'd hate to have to go. I'd, I'd hate to have to like try and muster up some kind of new like persona before I go on stage. Like, that'd be fucking weird, you know what I mean? So, and being on stage is comfortable for me because I'm just being me. For our next clip, please enjoy 
as I welcome our esteemed hero and legend, David Byrne. We had David Byrne on the show for episode nine with Annie B. Parsons, who choreographed his show, American Utopia, and uh, who has also worked with David multiple times. And as Adam and I are lifelong fanatics, I remember in that moment feeling like we astral projected (laughs) in and out of that room multiple times because he just says things like music is wonderful, very nonchalantly in the middle of his ideas, but then is incredibly clear and zen about every other aspect of his work. Like he's able to compartmentalize and also comprehend the impact that he's had but not in an ego no not at all way yeah it was so much fun to it's, sit in that dr- where were we we were in a dressing room in at chicago. auditorium theater in chicago in the dressing room prior to wow. the show we were able to see two dates of that tour which and, uh, for anyone who has experienced that show on broadway yeah, now little as did well, we know we would wind up went, on broadway <laughs> i feel like at the time we alluded to oh it, it was clear it could a big but, yeah, thing now it's clear that it is so we chose a little clip what is this clip about we talk about david's first concert experience and uh i think it's really about on par for what you might expect for what would bring the world talking heads and david byrne and all of his incredible writing it it makes sense but also is a surprise so enjoy this little clip and be sure to head to the full episode afterwards What was your first concert? What was my first, first concert? For me? Yeah. Uh, my dad took me to see Ravi Shankar. <gasps> is that cool? That's so cool. <laughs> is that cool? <laughs> That's amazing. Like, no, you are saying, is that cool? Yes, we're all like. <laughs> 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 That's cool. Uh, so, so I remember, I mean, music is, is wonderful, but I remember like there was a big, you know, big carpet on the stage and flowers. Oh, yeah. Things like that. Yeah. Um, it wasn't like amplifiers and stuff like that. It was uh, a carpet and maybe some pillows uh, and and some flowers around the edge. And I thought, oh, that's what that's how they make the stage for this this kind of show. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, do, you, do you remember how old you were at the time? Oh, when you saw? oh, I was probably about you know thirteen, fourteen, oh, wow. something like that. You know. Did you know that that was it? Was that when you saw that? Oh, it was. It was. Did you know uh, that you wanted to do that? Yes, yes. I mean, immediately. Yeah, it was a cool thing to do. Um, yeah. Just perform. Just oh no, t- for me to perform. Yeah. Um, yeah, I started performing at an early age. I was mm. very, very shy, but I would also perform. Mm. And for a lot of people, that seems like a contradiction. But for me, it was a way to communicate. It was a, manic- a way to announce my my being my, mm. my that I, yeah here i am um but then as soon as i, I finished that. performing i would go back in the corner <laughs> and not talk to anyone how did you get out of that i think music helped me music and performing helped me what yeah. was your first ever performance that you did i no i don't know which was the first i used to perform in uh coffee they were called coffee houses mm. and they were um they didn't serve liquor and they often had folk singers. And I think I went in, would go in with a, maybe a guitar, but it was usually a ukulele 
and mm -hmm. uh, and then sometimes a violin. I had a violin, and I played um, sometimes rock songs on the ukulele, and <laughs> other things on the violin. It was <laughs> terrible. And I mean, something else. It might have been a guitar right? as well, but uh, yeah. And it, it, so it was a performance. It, yeah, it was playing with their expectations of this folk crowd too, yeah. who did not expect that kind of stuff. So for our next clip, this is one, a very special one from our two-hour bonanza that was the Dear <laughs> Live from Sled Island podcast episodes. I had, as my guests on the show, members of the band Deerhoof. I had Ed, Greg, John, all of us squeezed into this teeny tiny hotel room in the middle of Calgary in Canada uh, during this festival that kind of took us all by surprise. I didn't know what I was going to expect, let alone hanging out for, I think the total amount, I think we sat in that room it had to have been nearly had to have three been hours. For like three hours. Not that any one of us had anything else to do, <laughs> which we really had a lot to do separately. And it was pouring outside. I remember it was like the heavens opened up after that. <laughs> after that, we had, we had the world sucked had to cool down from all <laughs> yeah. of that. Yeah, we had sucked the air from the room and the earth. Yes, and it just gushed down on us. And I, honestly, I couldn't have been actually more gushy because. It was just delightful to sit in that room and talk all about them driving across Europe to a show. And then it was the middle of the night. They had to find a random stranger to drive them. Oh God. So we chose this clip to because we've I don't know. Why do we choose this? We, because as they say in the biz, hilarity ensues. <laughs> and it's true. It's such a jam packed episode. And I think that this little clip will give you an insight into how they finish each other's sentences but yet are so uncompromisingly themselves and how greg saunier is like the most delightful man in america god and ed and john they all are and we i would assume satomi as well unfortunately we she couldn't be there for the interview but I'm I kind just, of think we. I'm just guessing her. she's also. I think she's yeah, okay with she's it. She's okay with it. <laughs> she's she's had enough of their giggling all day, anyways. So this is a little snippet, and we hope you enjoy. We we absolutely love this episode. Thank you guys again. We weren't even the headliner mm. of our own festival. You Who know? Was the, who's the headliner? I think the Go Team was the biggest band. Uh, there was a Belgian band uh, called The Kids that okay. played uh, near the end that were, you know, kind of original from 1977 mm. or 78 that were still playing. That's great. And that were only popular in Belgium. Yeah, no, but that's good. I mean, if it's going to be a festival in Belgium, it's good to have well, that's a That's what band. we were trying to do. We were trying, to, we were trying desperately to save money by choosing only European acts that would where travel would not be an issue. <laughs> we had no way right? no way of predicting the fact that a, a volcano was going to erupt. <laughs> I think Is it was in Iceland oh. that exact day and oh caused gosh. three of the acts to not be able to go. We, we almost didn't make it. I mean, we we were in we had played somewhere was it Copenhagen or something or <laughs> yeah. or something like that. Yes, yeah, and we so, were in Copenhagen. Um, we were we were going to fly the next day and there were no flights. So we ended up Somebody had to like find somebody in Copenhagen who could drive us, and we on just no drove notice. on no notice and just like basically 
drank seven Red Bulls and drove us directly to... John's uh, making it sound like we drank the Red Bulls. Uh, he he drank the Red Bulls. Okay. And someone basically... Wait, somebody drank a Red Bull. No, 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 no. It was a lot more. It was a lot more. It was like... We, we were at the airport ready to board, and then they were like canceled. Just so you know, it takes longer to drive to a place than to fly. So we were... By the time that was canceled, we were already late. Mm-hmm. Somebody... I think went to a construction site and started asking around. There was a Polish guy, did not speak either Danish or English Mm -hmm. or Dutch or French, but really needed money and um, I think had a van and, I mean, drove, sped, you know, straight. Oh, my gosh. From Denmark to Belgium. How big is your crew? How many are there of you that needed to get there? Well, there's a, we have a kind of a team of lighting designers um, who've already been offended by several comments. No, it was just us. Uh, uh, I think, I don't even think, no, Etienne was with us. So we had sound, one person doing sound. Okay. <laughs> wow. That's ridiculous. The, uh, Wait, when was this? The, 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 what year are we in? Uh, Take us into the moment. <laughs> you were in the band, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it was, I think it was 2010. That sounds about right. Yeah. It wasn't just that 12 Red Bulls um, <laughs> were downed in a row. The, he ke- also kept himself awake by having the radio blasting the entire time, but never tuned to a station. <laughs> Sometimes so little f- echoes of music would come in, but it was completely shattering. And we arrived so about ten minutes late <laughs> to have started playing. Shit. So we, we got there. Was that the first time you were ever and late st- for a performance? Or is that a thing that, that happens often to you? Well, how did you feel about our timing today for the interview? I was about three minutes late. Exactly. Were you already taping? No. Okay, well then, <laughs> it's no problem. You're a detective. Or <laughs> the next clip that we have for you is comedian, actor, and writer Jenny Slate. I'm boundlessly excited to introduce this little clip because I had at the time just gone to her live book tour for Little Weirds, her book that came out last year, read it if you have not. And I just watched her Netflix special Stage Fright. And so heading into a chat on just excitement from that standpoint alone felt like it could fuel me for the rest of my life. And then I'm struck with this human who is <laughs> so endlessly giving and generous with her time and her thoughts. She talks about, in this clip, we, we decided to, to pick out a really funny clip um, and really meaningful moment where I think that I, I was going through a phase at the time of being in that nostalgic bubble and puddle that you get in the end of the year. So I was asking weird questions that I think I needed answers to, like, what is she proudest of and things like that. And she answered with the grace of a freaking goddess. She answered so generously and genuinely. And we chat a little bit about the dormant cycles of creativity and how we are constantly striving to fuel it and pump it and getting clarity of mind when you're feeling down and away from creativity is so, it's crucial. And she was able to pick it apart for us or at least for me at the time i hope you as a listener got to experience that too i think you did i think some of you told me a little bit about it but i'm really 
glad that we were including her in, in this little mix. Especially because we focus a lot of time on music and to expand what it is to be a performer, to include comedy, to include uh, reciting passages of a book. It really just opens your mind to what it is to be an artist in today's world. And also, she has this intense clarity not in a way where it's commandeering or overbearing or authoritative. It's no, just, it's this like is how I feel. Yeah. And it's an incredible thing to witness. So we hope you feel many things. And this is a little <laughs> tiny clip. I wish that we had time for more, but enjoy this. I just try to make it new every day because even the good things that have happened, and I would say that this has been a particularly sort of like positive um, year for me, and it's felt pretty bountiful in terms of my work, um, that I've had this cycle before where I've been like, yes, I just totally threw down what I meant to throw down, and I'm really, really proud of it. And then, you know, I go into a dormant cycle. And that dormant cycle is really, really important for me creatively, but in a, in a culture and in an industry where, you know, you've got to constantly be fracking yourself for your own power, um, that dormant cycle can seem like failure or it can seem like you're, you're, you're losing momentum. And it's actually just not true. And, and so there's really nothing to take with you except for your, like, clarity of mind and, and the continual practice of trying to find some, some like, comfort in like a daily human condition. And that's where I'm at right now. And for me yesterday, I felt pissy. Like (laughs) I had a doctor's appointment that was an hour away from where Mm -hmm. I live where like, you know, some lady is just like going to stare into my vagina. And it's like, you know, I don't really need that at 9am. Like, (laughs) but that's what has to happen to me at this point, because, you know, I am a human being. Yeah. (laughs) Doesn't feel good. But like, you know, for whatever reason, I I ended up being kind of pissy all day. And like what I'm most proud of going to bed, like my, um, my fiance and I were taking a walk after sundown last night. So we were kind of, we were walking around the reservoir near our house and it was dark out and, you know, we both had this feeling like, well, we were kind of, we were both kind of down. We're, we're both catching a cold and we're sort of pissy. And, and we've said at the same time, like, well, we really made it through this day without catching on to that bad thing that wanted to take Right. Us. And letting it completely consume you. Right. Yeah. Like we didn't do anything pissy to each other. We, we like, we like survived that more like you know bitter day and um and that is really cool like because there is definitely a time when I just felt so entitled to having all my feelings which is fine and and right that I couldn't separate from acting on them next up is our clip I'm smiling already just thinking (laughs) about it Why do I get so excited? I think it's because when you meet somebody who shares a sense of wonder and curiosity in a really potentially crappy environment. The next clip, let me introduce it. It is Zola Jesus. And this was for episode 93. So it's a pretty fresh one. It was about a week into COVID-19 pandemic 
darkness. We had all started already hunkering down in our respective homes the week prior to that. So I feel like this little snippet that we clipped for you is Nika and I chatting about not hiding behind a shroud of mystery. And Nika's actually the only two-time yeah. guest in the show's history. Oh, she is. Yeah. God, I could talk to her for forever. <laughs> Get ready for part three. <laughs> I mean, um, Nika, your game. <laughs> you know, talking about branding oneself and how in that process of branding, you then have to find a sincere, genuine self. Talking about that during our conversation, uh, we kind of allude to it in the snippet that we picked out for Absolutely, you. Absolutely, yeah. But I wanted to celebrate the moment that we shared because Nick and I together created, well, mostly from her, we created this little guide for how artists and fans can best support one another right now. And I feel like even it's been 1,000, precisely 1,000 years yes. since this yes, episode yes, yes. came out on the 18th <laughs> of March, 2020. It feels like so much has shifted and changed, but we the, can't lose sight of how much can be gleaned from that totally. and also how much impact we can still make. And exactly. I couldn't have put it better. So enjoy this little clip and also be sure to check out our, our guide because it's still relevant today. And just support artists, follow, listen, buy, stream, do everything you can because in the end of the day we need this and i feel like this clip is the embodiment of that so enjoy i made a conscious decision to start engaging in social media in a more honest way and that was really empowering because it it was like a proof of concept where people could, people liked me. You know what I mean? I was like, at some point I was, I went through a lot of trauma the past couple of years. And I was just like, you know what? I, I don't want to hide behind this mysterious enigmatic shroud of aesthetic. Like there's, I have so much more to offer than just yeah. like being like this untouchable, like dark, whatever, like I, whatever, you know what I mean? Because you are sort of encouraged, especially as like a female musician to build this like brand of who you are and you've got to be like, you know, and, and, um, and, and to engage with people only insofar as you don't break that, that wall between you and them. And right, at right. some point that just wasn't personally working for me anymore. Like it felt like, I felt like I was only able to flex like, uh, five percent of who I am as a person and so I was just like this is like a really this is just like I'm bored I'm bored doing bored this and it's yeah yeah and it's like and it's not connective it's more of like uh look but don't touch and and it's just, it's it's just not oh that's such a strange it like gave me a little bit of a heart thump now yeah <laughs> But you almost get pushed into that place, though, don't you? Especially when yeah. you don't want people to come too close. Because if you are, and I'm not even saying like there's that binary of like introverted, extroverted. I don't think that's even in the conversation. But sometimes people do pierce too close. So you want yeah. to preserve some of who you are, I can imagine, as an artist. Or as anyone yeah. on a public, public platform, yeah. which, you, which you are. Yeah. And, and in the beginning, I was really, really, well, I, I struggle with a lot of anxiety. And so I was really closed off, 
you know, I have like four different levels of names that just you like, I didn't want anyone to know anything about me because I have a, um, a fear of exposure. Like, I feel like the more people, it's kind of weird being a musician, but I have this deep childhood fear of like the more people that, that know that I exist, the more, um, the more vulnerable I become. Like, I was like, I just want to make, I just want as few people in the world to know who I am because I'm then at less at risk of being like invaded in my privacy being right. misunderstood yeah. or taken advantage of like, or something. Our next clip for you today, humans, not humans is John Daniel, the mastermind of mountain goats. It's episode. It was episode 40, 47, 47. I stumbled because I remember the feeling... <laughs> as if it were yesterday. As if it were yesterday. No, it feels like five million... Why Everything feels like five. We are stuck in time and also hurtling through the universe. Don't you feel? No. That is, that is very true. It's also very sci-fi. I mean... There you are. Dual minds. Who are you? Philip K. Dick? Lior Phillips K. Yes, Dick? Yes, that's who I am. So, John Daniel, what he does, mm-hmm. let me tell you a little bit let about Let me tell that. you a story. <laughs> he makes you hyperactive <laughs> in a way of the root of the term hyperactive. You gain so much knowledge. You are, you are like this seeping, porous thing that is then just exposed because he opens up himself and his brain and also does it in a way that lets you feel very present so whilst this doesn't feel like whilst this was in the past and i remember episode 47 was in april of 2009 2019 yeah it would have to be oh my god that was a year ago yeah it was about a year ago shit there's also no one quite like a Mountain Goats fan. And we hear we hear you, Mountain Goats fans. Yeah, Everybody that wrote to us are. talking about how <laughs> they loved this episode. We hear you. We hear you. We're, we're, we're along with you, too. So trust in that. Exactly. So why do we pick this particular clip? Because I remember the episode is it's so chock long. full of goodies. It's, so, it's one of our three, I believe, two-hour-plus episodes. And Phew. again, Mountain Goats fans could not get enough of it. We heard so many, why isn't it four hours? I mean, I could have chatted to him forever. And I think I even said that multiple times. Like, how do you... He talks about it being a dream job. And he made me feel like I had a dream job. Yes, that was the incredible part of this clip is that it talks a lot about mental health, about the perspective of loving what you do, no matter what it is that you do. You just make sure it's something you love. Uh, he talks a lot about what it is to be on tour in the mind state as opposed to the physical body of, mm. well, this is what I like to eat. This is what I like to do. It was just what is the experience within your mind, which is really interesting. But it also wasn't like lofty. It was right. very meaty and intellectual, but also in a way of like, how do you ask somebody who is so beloved questions that you know 
people are dying to hear. Like I couldn't even ask the question yes. because I was wanting him to just answer. <laughs> <laughs> and he weirdly did. He, yes. I think that his ability to be so personable whilst also understanding his role yes. and how important it is to be an artist that others can look up to. Like he is absolutely a role model because he's so focused on the work and so disciplined in his in. His art. John has this incredible ability to thread the needle of being hyper specific in his storytelling, but also making it something so approachable and relatable to everybody, which is really what this clip does as well. And what we try to do here. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Enjoy this. We're so thrilled to share this little clip with you. And uh, yeah, enjoy. You are constantly curious about everything and having that wonder. I am pretty, pretty into being on the planet. Yeah, I like it. <laughs> oh my God, I love that. Yes, Leo, <laughs> I like being here and alive. <laughs> well, no, it's, but not everybody does. And I don't always either. I mean, everybody's been through. Yeah, you we know, all have like, our actually, shitty days. Yesterday I had a frustrating day. And by the end of the day, I was taking no joy in anything. I was like, it was just, everything was a burden and everything was bad. But then how do you how do you then stop going crazy if you're on tour and that lifestyle is not as easy to tap into because you don't have your creature comforts, you don't have your wife, your kids, your things that, you know, bring you joy and excite right. you and fill you. So then when you're touring, how do you make sure that you are loving everything around you curious wonder is it because well, you you're don't i get into... very very depressed uh, on tour i get tour is oh, a, no. a pretty bad mental health space yeah for me. yeah uh, i mean the thing is well but again i mean it's like you know i've probably said this like 30 times i don't want people to think you know john darniel shows up the conversation boy let me tell you about the hazards and the pain of touring right because no I'm i definitely aware yeah just going forward i can tell you whatever if there is anything that i am concerned about that you have said i will point it out i certainly don't think yeah, yeah. like i'll never let you just say something without actually challenging you on it <laughs> so like have faith but also thank you because there's a lot of people yeah. who well, do say is, like, because I, I have the dream job right i have the job people want where i set my own hours right and also, when I'm doing the parts of the work that that are the most rewarding, they're unimaginably rewarding for work, right? You know, like, I, we all, hopefully, whatever job anybody does, you find a way to enjoy doing your work, right? And I've done that in every job. I, I get into what I'm doing. I, you know, it's like when I, was, when I was washing dishes, you know, if you can sit around and complain or you can get into the, the mood of the kitchen, right? So, uh, and, and that's what you do. Is like, for me, for me, it's like, well, you have fun with it, you know, but in my job... It's not dishwashing. It's making music for a living, right? So I'm really super conscious of like any complaint I air, people will rightly think, man, yo, I will take that complaint over somebody telling me I did my work badly, mm-hmm. you know, for, when, I, when I know I didn't. Yeah. <laughs> like, I think people know you certainly for someone who maybe they think on the outset that you love touring. Obviously, you've toured so much. Well, I love, but this is the thing. So I love playing yeah. like, the shows. I love the every last show, like my life. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, but the the vibe of tour. Some days it rules. Some days it's amazing. You know, and when you're having when you're having those times on tour, you really do go, wow. People who don't do this don't even have access to this feeling, right? It's like when you are you and your band of brothers and and one sister in our case, um, 
you know, but you and your crew, you know, I mean, it's like the word crew starts to, to, to really hold a resonance. You know, I, I was texting Peter and John today. We can't wait to hang out, right. To be in the bus together, even though when we're on the bus, we don't like, hang that much. Yeah. Like, John rests and I rest and you know, I, I rest a lot. I spend a lot of time just lying on my back in the back lines, listening to music, trying to get myself in the right frame of mind. Cause if I let if I'm not careful, I will sink into a depression hole, and uh, and it's really hard to climb back out when you're on tour. <laughs> now this clip that you're about to hear is with the Grammy-winning polymath prodigy and musical genius Jacob Collier. Uh, it's a little snippet that we took from, well, you took it. I'm looking at Adam. <laughs> you took it out of this special two-hour episode that yes. we had back in, when was that? That was two months ago, maybe? 25th of March? Yeah. Wow. wow. Again, <laughs> it's been two years of the show, but it's also been two years since March. And I feel like it's very hard to talk about this without getting emotional, which again is something that I'm not afraid of admitting. But that's also something that's incredibly special about your interviews, which is something that a lot of fans have latched onto with this interview and with every interview that you do. It's just this incredible ability to connect with other people on a level that not all of us can even see, let alone reach. I said I was emotional already. Well, there you what go. What have you done? I need <laughs> Liam Gallagher's bucket hat. <laughs> bucket hat. A tumbleweed. I needed to take me away um during this chat i think that there were multiple moments when both jacob and i had to take a lot of breathers and i think it was indicative of being of looking at creativity in a way that feel, felt very eye-opening that he was not only uh, talking about music theory and not worrying about being you know scornful a scornful educatee but he was also speaking from a place of his passion and love for music is something again that we are constantly striving to find a way to describe how we feel whilst watching a live show and yes his way of describing his innermost thoughts and feelings and technique and focus on music was kind of the same thing, right? But and he was able to do it. And to the same end, I really love how often we think of life as either more analytical or more feeling or more sure. mathematical or more artistic or, you know, left brain, right brain, whereas truly none of that lives in a vacuum. It all is in relation to each other. And I think this clip does a really beautiful way of showing that while he might be this brilliant mind in mm. music theory, that's not all that he is. And that's not all that anybody is. It doesn't exist on its own. Everything works together to make art, to make music, something that we really can connect to in whatever way works for us yeah and it sounds i think it, during the whole thing i was just thinking how blessed we are to do and have these artists that we can talk to about these things and also then get such a beautiful reaction so a little note as well that i want to say thank you to all of jacob's fans for reaching out and thanking us for having this conversation because 
again, having a 30 minute conversation with somebody like Jacob is impossible. Uh, <laughs> thank God. But also he talks about a creative reminder during this clip of learning a new language. And I think that understanding a new language in oneself, whether that's spiritual or create creative or artistic or anything, understanding it is a journey and he is still on it. So it was a joy to be part of that process now. We got to document a little bit of his path. So this is a little snippet of episode 94. Enjoy. I started to learn how to put this course together and Later I, would re later I would realize that I was learning music theory, but at the time it just felt like I was equipping myself to be as feelingful as possible in the process, be as, as articulate as possible. Because, you know, when, when a child expresses herself with a paintbrush, for example, the first thing to learn is paint and no paint. Now, there, are, there are two extremes, there's paint or no paint. And then you realize, oh, so there's actually, there's paint in a few different colors, and then there's no paint. So. Then it's about what color you use when. And then you realize, well, there's there's dense paint and there's sparse paint and then there's silence. And so then those three become the thing. And the more interested you become in it and the more willing you are to open yourself up to the process of it, whether or not you want to call these this process anything or put labels on things, which many people don't, you're learning a dialect, you're learning a language which is enabling you to make choices as a creative person. And so I guess the one thing I'd say is that for, for people who are wondering about music theory, first of all, please don't worry about being scornful because I was very scornful and I think it's very healthy to be scornful of, of a lot of things in education. I was, I was a very scornful educatee. Whenever anybody does anything, whether it's a sport or, or, um, or making any kind of art, music or dance, um, speaking, write, writing as a linguist, even as, as a mathematician, as a scientist, as anything, a politician, it's, it's, it ends up being about technique. But the technique doesn't feel like technique when it's done for a reason. And so I think that the challenge is to enable yourself to create from both a right brain and a left brain perspective, but trusting your instincts. Because at the end of the day, your music is exactly who you are. If you make music, the music is going to be exactly who you are. However high definition that is today, it is an expression of who you are. That is, first of all, an extraordinary way. It's an extraordinary opportunity to learn yourself and one that I am at this point quite addicted to but it's it's also it's also this incredible area where you can you can make progress in articulating yourself and you know even besides music I just I love using words I love articulating things that I see around me to myself feelings and emotions and moods but I'm not going to turn my nose up at learning grammar um, because it because I'm not sitting down to learn it I'm I'm intuitively bringing it and breathing it into the process myself and so right. it doesn't feel like grammar if if someone had said Jacob now it's time to learn grammar I would have said I don't care no I won't do it <laughs> but if somebody inspires me to have something to say then I will learn grammar without thinking it just it, as I say it breathes itself into the process and I think for me I learned the language without thinking about it and by the time I thought about it I was so interested in it that the process belonged to me and not to anybody else and I think for that reason, the, 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 left, the left brain and right brain approach, I, I guess my point is that it's possible to achieve a true synergy where if, if you're speaking a language and learning a skill, that skill can be on whatever level you want, but a high level skill does not mean a low level feeling. It just doesn't mean that.
So that's it. 12 clips in the bag. We've we've celebrated 100 episodes. Can you believe we've gotten through this celebration of our past? It does feel like a good celebration, though. I feel like it was also really therapeutic for us to go through and cathartic. Yes, that's a very good way to put it, because I feel like I have really felt all of that experience in one evening. Which because we, we're recording it in one evening, <laughs> but I also think that the way of uh, podcasting and documenting these audio moments and these memories is that sometimes you put it out there and then it gets kind of lost, which again is creative and artistic work, and we've brought them back home through the help of our community who let us know what really impacted them. So thank you again. I think to end off. Thank you again to all of our listeners. Without you, we are but <laughs> two two voices <laughs> in a mass of nothingness. So thank you for uh, consistently listening and subscribing and also leaving the most wonderful reviews and also shocking ones. <laughs> Thanks for them. It keeps us human. Don't do it again. And if this is your first time tuning in, what what an episode. Yeah, you got you got a bird's eye view of the whole dang world. Stick around, please. There's lots more to come. Hundreds more to come. We have Oh, now we can announce our next week's guest. Oh Might yeah. as well. If you've wa- if you've made it through this entire episode. Well done. Well done. <laughs> Get ready next week for Rose McGowan. We want to also say a quick thank you to everyone that's helped us out along the way over these two years. Wouldn't be here without you. No, and thank you again to Consequence of Sound, to our listeners, to our guests, most importantly. Absolutely. And to everybody who helped us make this possible. You are the best. Thank you for giving this gift to us. And here it is for you to a hundred more episodes. Start Start the the podcast. podcast. Enjoy. This Must Be The Gig is produced by Adam Kibble. We'd like to thank Dean Berger and Daniel Brater for additional music, as well as the Consequence Podcast Network. Hey! If you've listened this far, why not go the extra mile and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you find your podcasts. Your comments provide valuable feedback for us and it helps other people find us too. For information on new episodes, be sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at TMBTGPod. And generally just irritate everyone you know about the show. Thanks again, and I miss you already. Consequence Podcast Network. Oh. I heard that. Hello.